Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of What's the Appeal? Today we're going to take a look at some fun things. Uh, it's definitely a fun topic because we're going to talk about gaming. And to be more specific, we're going to talk about gaming consoles. And to be a little bit more specific, we're going to talk about a, a specific PlayStation that sort of... It represented a, a new beginning for Sony. I'm talking about the PSP or the PlayStation Portable. If you don't know what it is, this is basically Sony's first attempt at a portable gaming console. The same way as Nintendo has their DS line, well, this was Sony's mm, sort of fight back. Nintendo had quite a monopoly on, on handheld gaming consoles up until then, and Sony had some great success with their PlayStations, with the PlayStation 1, with the 2, and with the 3. I mean, the PlayStation 3 appeared in 2006, and the PSP was launched, I think, one or two years before that. So the PlayStation 2 was basically getting sort of old at this point, and it was getting towards the end of its lifetime. And that's when Sony introduced this new console, the PSP. In order for you to be able to picture it if you haven't had one, um, I think the best way to describe it is it's... It's sort of like, think about an iPhone 7 Plus or an 8 Plus or an iPhone Pro Max. And it's one and a half times that as size. It was, a, by today's standards, it might look pretty thick and ugly and small screen. But by those days' standards, now, keep in mind, this was 2004. For 2004, man, they, they were killing it. They... The form factor was really good. So you had a screen, you had um, some uh, a joystick, you had uh, buttons, the, the classic arrow buttons, and then the square, cross, triangle, and circle button. You also had some sort of bumper buttons as well. You had a, a pretty complete feature set. Of course, it wasn't quite the same as having something like a PS3 controller. But if you were to compare the sort of ergonomics and the controls given by the PSP to what the PS2 offered you, they weren't that far off. I mean, sure, it didn't have the second joystick, but that was about it. Otherwise, it was really familiar if you used to own another PlayStation. The reason why this PSP is really sort of close to my heart is because this was my first ever gaming console. And it has a bit of a backstory behind it. So when I was younger, my mom would, would never have bought me a gaming console. It was just, it was, wasn't even a question. Like, no, the answer was no. She thought that they were a waste of time and I would just sit on them for hours and hours playing. And to be honest, she might have been right. <laughs> because, uh, I, look, when I was that young, like in 2004, I was seven years old, seven, eight years old. And... Let's be honest, I'm not going to control myself from playing video games. I, I I wouldn't have been able to. So my mom was always really against buying me a console. Uh, that being a PS2 or a PS3 or an Xbox doesn't really matter. And so a bit of time went by and a lot of my friends, sort of in my circle, got these PlayStations. And they got them especially for road trips. I, at that time, I was skiing, for example. And we went on in different camps, like a few times a year. And... Whenever we went on the bus and on long-distance trips, everyone had their PSPs out and let's play. Uh, 
and I was the one that didn't have one. That uh, having I had a CD player at times, then I had an MP3 player, and I had a, a phone that I think it was an LG Cookie or not even. The point is, I did not have a PSP, and I did not have a gaming console, and a lot of the cool kids had one, and so I made it a goal to somehow have one. Now I knew for sure that my parents wouldn't buy one for me. But what I did is, for a few years, I think, I, I sort of, any bits of money I received from grandparents, from my parents, from whatever source, or like birthdays, things like that, I would put aside. And there was a time when, uh, at that time, there was sort of this paper, this written paper with ads in it. And I saw that some guy, some dude, uh, was selling his PSP. And I was like, Hmm, you know what? I can actually afford this now. Barely afford it, but I can. It came with a memory card included. I think it was a four gigabyte card. It was secondhand, sure, it was used, but that meant I would have a PSP, so I, I didn't really care. And to be honest, I wouldn't care now if it was used or not. It was in pretty good shape. And so I went, I met with the guy, with my parents, of course, and with my own hard-earned money, from all of these birthdays that I had, I went and bought this console. And this was not my first console, and it lasted me for quite a while. There were multiple years. But getting, uh, I think we can, I can talk a lot about my sort of personal experience with the PSP, but that's not really <laughs> the point of this show. So uh, let's continue with the console itself. It was a, it was a, Great success story. So the console sold uh, sold in over 70 million uh, examples. And that's not bad. Like, sure, the Nintendo the DS, I think, sold it like at the rate of two DSs for one PSP, which might sound horrible, but for their first attempt, for Sony's first attempt at a mobile console, it wasn't, wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, 70 million consoles, it, it's really good. And... The thing is, depending on the region you're looking at, the PSP was either a huge success or a huge failure. Because in Japan, the console really caught on, and it, I think it outsold some like regular consoles even. It, it was a hit in Japan. In Europe, it was okay. Uh, nothing to like brag about, not to write home about, but it wasn't bad. I mean, it definitely made money off of Europe. And the US was sort of the same. The Nintendo DS definitely beat the PSP in the United States, but still, it it sold decently well. Like, overall, if you were to draw a line with uh, Sony's profits, I, I think the PSP was not a bad effort. Definitely not a bad effort. Definitely not a wasted effort of engineering time. So this PlayStation, to give you a sort of an idea of what games looked like and what the gaming um, scene was like back then. The PSP launched in 20, 2004. The PS3, PlayStation 3, launched in 2006. So this was two years be, uh, before one of Sony's greatest consoles out of all time, the PS3. And the PlayStation 2 has been out on the market for quite a while by now. And Everyone sort of guessed that it was approaching its end of lifetime. And then here came this little console, which had amazing graphics that at times maybe even rivaled the PS2 ones. 
PC gaming was, I mean, it was a thing back then, but uh, yeah, PlayStations were selling really well. And if Sony were to pick a moment in order when to join this fight for the mobile market, I think they picked a, a, a good one because the PS2 was an, a resounding success. And the PS3 also turned to be a really huge success. And selling this sort of add-on, which is the PSP, sounded like a great idea. And speaking of, the PSP had quite a long, a long life in different iterations. It had a lot of generations. So in 2004, they launched the FAT model, which at, at the time, it didn't seem FAT. But as the other models launched, yeah, they, it, it sort of started to show its age. Um, one good thing about the FAT model was that it had a pretty big battery. I had an 1800 milliamp power battery, and it, despite it being quite a thick console, the grip was pretty good. Now, by today's standards, the FAT only had 32 megabytes of RAM. You can judge it for yourself, but keep in mind we're talking 2004 here. A few years later, in 2007 and 2008, Sony launched the PSP 2000 and the PSP 3000, or they called it the slim and light. I mean, the only really dif real difference between these two were that one of them had the microphone and the other one didn't. I don't think I ever used the microphone on mine, but it, they were offered in multiple colors as well, like silver or black. Actually, I think it was only silver and black. Oh, well. The point, so these two came out in about 2007, 2008. Then in 2009, they launched the PSP Go which sort of started to mark the decline of the PlayStation, to be honest. And then the PSP Street, which was a sort of really dumbed-down version of the original PSPs. But the PSPs I'm mostly going to talk about are the Fat One and the Slim and Light, so the 1000, 2000, and 3000, because I think those are the most relevant. Those are the first ones that appeared, and those were the ones that sort of made this console popular. They made it into what it is now. I remember like, some of my friends had the fat ones and I had the slim ones and uh, the slims were better. Overall, I think they were better, but I mean, other than the design and it, it's in the name, the fat one was fatter, but other than the design, really like gameplay wise and experience wise, they were really similar. You wouldn't be able to really tell a difference. The way this little console carried these games was was pretty interesting. I mean, Sony has always been known for their proprietary everything. And the, the PSP was no exception. Of course, it couldn't use DVDs or CDs. Those were just way too big. It couldn't use flash storage because... I don't know why, actually. But Sony decided to go the route of UMD discs. Now... I don't think they were ever used in anything else, but in order to imagine what this UMD was, imagine like a CD that's really shrunken down, right? that's sort of a little bit smaller than the middle of your palm. And put this CD into an, a plastic case, that it's not a, like a rounded plastic case, and that's what the UMD was. Um, you can Google it, I think it's it's best, but basically you can imagine it as being a small CD in an enclosure. 
I, I don't think there was any other device that used these, or at least not another popular device that used these UMDs, but this is how all games were sold. And they were sold the same in shops, the same as you would sell, like, PS3 games. You would just pick the CD out there, you would... Um, you would open actually the back of the PSP, sort of like you did with a um, an old cassette recorder or cassette deck. So you would open that, plug the UMD in there, close it up, and then after a bit of loading, uh, the game would just appear uh, in the menu. Also, um, because this is Sony, let's not forget, uh, it, it did have an SD card slot because you need to keep your saved games somewhere. It didn't really have much internal storage, if any, so a card was really required. And Sony did include an SD card slot. Now, why they didn't choose to put games on the card slot directly, I don't know. It was not a hardware limitation, because actually this SD card slot was what allowed the PSP to be modded. And when it was modded and cracked, basically anyone could put any games for sort of free. It was like torrenting for those times. But yeah, uh, getting back to the memory cards, it, it didn't use regular SD cards. No, it used Sony's Memory Stick Duos, I think they were called. Yeah, the, the Memory Stick Duo, which was, again, a really weird format of memory cards used by Sony, created by Sony, and only ever endorsed by Sony. Sony was... Sony isn't the best company when it comes to sort of building these walled gardens, I guess, these days, and they weren't any better back then. And these cards were, were quite costly. I mean, as you would expect when you compare the price of this card to the price of comparative um, comparable SD cards at the time, these were more expensive. It's not like you had a choice, though. You could either buy this or not save any game ever. Yeah, that, that was really not an option, was it? One thing that sort of stood out on the, um, on the PSP that you didn't quite get in a way, not even with the PS2, was the PSP acted really well as a media device. If you remember the PS2, the PS2 didn't really have an interface. You would just put a disc and it would automatically load whatever it is, now, that being a movie or that being a game. It would just automatically load it. The PSP wasn't this way. Because when you would boot it up, I remember this was, it was like, had a sliding toggle on the side. But when you boot it up, it would show a menu that's really similar to the PlayStation 3 menu, actually. Even to the PS4 menu we have now, it has a lot of things in common. Like, the general UI and UX is really similar. The PSP, I think you could say it pioneered this sort of style of menu. But I, I digress. What the PSP was being great at was a media device. Sure, you could play games, and you had some really great games for it, but you could do more stuff with it as well. It had a Wi-Fi connection, so if you really wanted, you could browse the web. I did try it a few times, and it worked, not gonna lie. It wasn't a good experience, but you could browse the web given that you had a Wi-Fi connection. But more important than this, it could play songs and movies, and of course it had a headphone jack, a 3.5mm headphone jack, and the fact that it was both a movie player, an MP3 player, and a gaming console all in one made it a really complete and compelling package. Now, of course, the iPod was smaller. 
and you could probably find sort of slimmer MP4 devices that would play uh, both videos and audio. But this was a really complete package. Like, sure, it was pretty thick for a movie player, but for a game console that also acted as a movie player and an MP3 player, it was not a bad deal. It could do all of these things at once, and it could do them decently well. It, it didn't have any glaring issues with it. But at the end of the day, let's not forget that the PSP was a PlayStation. It was a gaming console, and we can't forget about the actual gaming part about it. Because it was really important, and a lot of people might forget like what sort of library did the PSP have, but in my personal opinion, I think it had a really good library of games. And this is why it made it sell quite well. You had Grand Theft Auto games. You had sort of some... Re- they weren't rebadged, but they were versions of Grand Theft Auto games. They had versions of Liberty City called Liberty City Stories. And the same for Vice City. They had a game called Vice City Stories. And I played a lot of them. And to be honest, when comparing that to the PC version, they weren't that different. Maps were the same. You got missions, like controls were the same. Graphics were similar enough. They were really good. And other than these ports, I mean, of course, it had popular games like FIFA or PES, Pro Evolution Soccer, but it also had other games like God of War. It had Midnight Club, which was this really cool open world sort of racing game back then. And I remember rolling in my Chevy Impala through the streets through the Midnight Club LA, I think it was. Yeah, that was Midnight Club LA. So rolling with this Chevy Impala through LA on my PSP. That was, man, memories. You also had games like Tekken or Dexter was a really cool game. Um, You also had a port of Gran Turismo. So the game collection was really, was pretty big. And going back to two games that I mentioned, Vice City Stories and Liberty City Stories, I think they took an interesting approach when developing these. So they could just port the Vice City game from the PlayStation 2 to the PSP. That was would have been an option. But what Sony and, and Rockstar as well realized was that most people that bought a PSP already had a PS3 or a PS2. Now, that wasn't my personal case. But most people usually had a, another console at home. So this was just an add-on for when they're on the go. And so they would have already played Vice City. And so in order to make this compelling, they made Vice City Stories and Liberty City Stories, which were games that were sort of continuing the story of Vice City. Or you could think of it as sort of like a side quest. The entire game was a big side quest. But they were really good games. And the mechanics were pretty feature-rich. Um, the graphics were really good. I mean, really good for 2004 standards. You have to keep in mind that it, the year was 2004. But... The, the quality of games was honestly pretty, pretty impressive, in my humble opinion. And given this good quality of games, you also got something that's really... that can't even be missed these days, and it's battery life. Now look, for in 2004, you got about three, four, three, between three and five hours of battery life while playing games. Now, 
that's huge for a device that had like a bright screen, a big screen for the time. And they could play these really demanding games because, okay, by modern standards, they're really easy to run. But by those standards, man, like running a version of Grand Theft Auto was not easy. Running God of War was not easy. Running Gran Turismo was not easy. And so doing it so for three to four hours and maybe even more on battery, it was really good. So what this allowed was when I went on road trips on, on buses, I could play for hours on end. And then I would just plug it in, charge it for a bit and play some more. You could also play with it by charging, but I think that's something uh, that for the power that that small little console had, it the battery itself was, was battery life was really good. In, in my opinion. Another one killer feature of the PSP that I, I always loved and I used a lot when I was little was game sharing. This is something that you don't even see today. I, I, I don't know of a phone that can do that. And it was pretty science fiction at the time. And now, even, even by today's standards, I'm quite amazed at how did Sony manage to do this, to pull this off in 2004. So the PSP had Wi-Fi connectivity. And one of the features in some games was game sharing. I, I, I remember one game in particular. It was Naruto Shippun. It was some version of, the, of a Naruto game. And it was sort of like a combination between a platformer and a fighter game. It was really cool. I played a lot of it. But what it allowed you to do was to share a, this game, the Naruto battle, with someone else, the PlayStation Portable, without the other person having the game. So if I had the game, and then my friend didn't have the game, we both had PSPs, I could enter the Naruto game on my console, and then share the game with him, like wirelessly. No disc sharing, no nothing. And we would both enter the battle, and I would see the battle, and he would see the battle on his device. It would work pretty seamlessly. The way Sony managed to do that, of course, not every, not every game supported it. You couldn't do this with Grand Theft Auto. But with sort of like similar, like simpler games, like let's say fighting games, it worked really well. And out of a bus of like school kids, it allowed for one guy to have the game. And then we would play with that guy. Or it allowed for only one person to actually own the game while being able to share the experience with someone else. Because in a, in a battle game, for example, I mean, it's cool to play against the AI, but it's much better to play against a real person, against your mates. And what Sony allowed with this was really cool. And this was it's really a feature that was pretty standout. I'm not sure if other consoles had it. Uh, but if I think today, because I think today the tablets and phones have basically replaced the old portable consoles, I mean, you could argue about the Switch, but that, that's a different story. But if I think about phones and tablets, I, I don't know of any phone or tablet that can do this currently. For me to enter a game that I bought and share it with someone else, like share the, the battle instance, that, that was really cool back then. And I think it's really cool now. And now being a developer, I'm actually really amazed that they managed to technologically pull this off in 2004 or 2005. So the thing with the PSP was that it had a lot going for it. It had it had what it was the perfect size for a small console, but it still had a big enough display. Now, I'm not 
don't remember exactly the size in inches that it had but uh, as a reference it was somewhere around like i think five inches four or five inch display by today's standards it might not seem that big but it definitely was by dan's standards in 2004 you have to realize that the iphone was still four years in the making so yeah 2004 was was quite a while ago man it was 16 years ago that that's that's a lot but going back so it was a really good size and it had the big enough display big and bright display it had really good controls it had the joystick which was um, really helpful in a lot of games the battery life didn't disappoint and what this entire the entire features provided as a whole package was mobile gaming at a quality that was had never been seen before really the graphics quality was amazing i mean uh, nintendo didn't really com even compete at this chapter because the realism the psp could give you was something that you wouldn't expect a mobile console to be able to give you now the, this psp also had another thing going for it in specific asian markets i'm mostly talking about japan here but it was a great indie platform so the thing is from what i read a lot of develop for a lot of developers it was much cheaper to develop for psp than to develop for a proper console like the ps2 or the ps3 and so what that meant was that a lot of indie games appeared on the psp and that legacy actually continued onto the ps vita but you can think of small games like patapon if you never had the psp you might have never heard about this game but it started on the PlayStation Portable, and it was a hit. It was sort of a rhythm game, which were it was simpler in mechanics and graphics, but uh, as a concept, it was a really cool game. And Patapon is not the only one. A lot of, of um, indie games came out for this platform, and th this made it appealing especially for the Japanese market. And this sort of legacy actually carried on to the Vita because the PS Vita, you could consider the PS Vita the successor of the PSP. And while the PS Vita was uh, was kind of a flop, really, it was a really good indie gaming console, an indie game platform. And this is what the, I guess you could attribute this to the PSP because the PSP was the console that actually started this. You have to you have to realize that after a few years, modding was a thing. Um, at that point, the the PS2 was already had already been hacked, the PS3 as well, and of course the PSP became hacked and or modded. And actually, when I bought my first PSP, look, I was a, a kid with no money, so I bought one that was already modded in order for me to be able to pirate games and put them on the console. I, I had no money for games at that point. And my parents would definitely not buy me games. And that was that was not even an option ever. But modding was a thing, and it allowed you to put you know, games like ISO files, which were basically games, onto the PlayStation Portable. The way it did this, it was through the Memory Stick Duo or Pro Duo. Now, Sony initially intended that port to be for storing music, for storing movies or for storing save data, save data for games. 
But what hackers managed to do was to use that same SD card for storing games. Now, back then, a game for the PSP was somewhere like between like two to three hundred megabytes for the small ones, up to one point, if I remember correctly, one point three gigabytes for a really large PSP game. So I had this four gigabyte card that sort of came with the PlayStation, and at worst, I could put three games on it, and at best, around five to six games. Hey, that was still decent. That was still really decent, but. The PSP, it started out as being modded. And over time, it actually became much more because a lot of people realized that being so hackable, it represented a great opportunity for people to create emulators for even older games, or or at least mobile emulators. And it all sort of spiraled and throughout the sort of hacking forums and communities, the PSP is really regarded as one of like the devices to have for like old emulators, which I think one of the good parts about that is that it sort of breathed new life into those older devices. Look, the graphics for the time were amazing. And I keep saying this, but it, it might be nostalgia, to be honest. Um, it, as I said, it was my first gaming console. And it was my, I think it was one of my first things that I bought out of my own money. But... The PSP really was an iconic device for Sony's history. And not not only for Sony's history, but for gaming history in general. It represented something new and something quite revolutionary, to be honest. Now, out of a company like Sony, that those were the times where Sony was really going for it. And it had a lot of things going for it in a lot of different sort of areas. So yeah, this was the the PSP. I, I have a lot of fond memories with it, to be honest. And I think it was a great console. Now, if you look out on the internet, you will get conflicting opinions. Some would say it was a flop. Some would say it was a success. Financially speaking, it was a success. Like 70 million um, consoles sold. That's That's not bad at all by any sort of standard. And... It had a good gaming library, if you knew what to search for. It was something that really marked my childhood and a lot of childhoods. And it it introduced a lot of people to gaming. Because you have to realize that it was also much cheaper than the equivalent PlayStation 3. A new one was something like um, 150 euros, I think. And the new PS3 at the time was somewhere around 300 or 400 euros. So... It was also much more affordable for people. Sure, it has more screens than the TV, but it was a great it was a great device. It had a lot of things going for it. Of course, you would have to go around the like paying the premiums for Sony's UMD discs and memory stick Pro Duo thingies. But at the end of the day, if if you draw the line, the PSP was was a great device. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening. I I hope you enjoyed this sort of flashback through through history. And I I think the PSP definitely was worth its hype and its cult following. I hope you enjoyed this video. Um, Please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might be listening to this radio show, which is actually an internet show. (laughs) Whatever. Um, So yeah, please leave a positive review if you liked it. Uh, I have a lot more videos on different topics coming up. Uh, You can also check older videos I did on folding phones, on Windows Phone, on TikTok, on different topics. And uh, 
a lot of other videos will come in in the near future. I, I really enjoy doing this podcasting and talking about technology that I, I really enjoy or that I enjoyed at one point in my life. And so, uh, also, if you're, if you're at it, um, please check out my YouTube channel called Start Stop. That's S-T-A-R-T-S-T-U-P. Where there we talk about um, software development, business, startups, entrepreneurship, combination of like technology and business. It's it's something. <laughs> it's something. I'm, I'm cooking up a new video for that one as well. But that being said, see you on the next episode. Um, I have a lot of ideas of topics. I'm not sure which I'm going to tackle next. But for now, have a good one. <laughs>